0: You have your Bibles this morning open to Revelation 6, you're in the right place. We're in verse 9. We're looking at two seals that the Lord Jesus Christ will open. And when he opens these seals, history ensues, history future. We're watching what's going to happen at the consummation of all of human history. The saved stand before the throne of God, rejoicing in their salvation. And the unsaved fall before the throne of God, regretting their condemnation. We have the culmination of all of human history given to us in chapters 5 and chapter 6. We also have a helpful note, and that is the history of our lives. The history of our lives. If you have your Bibles, look in verse 9. John, the Revelator, is a seer, he sees things that God has shown him. In verse 9, what does he see? Well, when he opened the fifth seal, that is the Lord Jesus Christ opened the fifth seal, John said, I saw, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. There are some things happening in heaven that we're aware of. And I want you to just think about for a moment the fact that when we were singing holy to the Lord... We were singing in stereo. The first truck I learned to drive didn't have power steering. It had an AM radio and then music came out of one speaker. I could listen to Delta Dawn on one speaker. When we sang this morning, don't let it get past you, that while we're singing here on earth, we are doing God's will as it is being done in heaven. And then there's stereo in the concert of our singing. And like that singing, in heaven, there are altars. And God had given, for instance, Moses' responsibility to build a tabernacle. And then temples were built. All of those replicas of what is actually in glory. There are altars in heaven Two in Revelation that we note: One's a golden altar, the other a brass altar. The golden altar we see in Revelation are where the prayers of the saints are being given and that they are mixed with incense, meaning that the prayers of God's saints that are prayed in the name of Jesus for the will of God are so precious that they are actually mixed or melted together with the prayers of the Holy Spirit. And then there's this brass altar That brass altar, which represents offerings, and the offerings are the lives of God's people. And so what we note in the fifth seal being open is that God is allowing so much judgment to take place on the earth that the saints in heaven are praying, how much longer, God, until you wrap it all up? How much longer until you vindicate our souls? They are there being before the throne of God slain. Slain by whom? Well, they're slain by the enemies of God, much like the Lord Jesus Christ himself was slain in the sense that they are killed. Why are they slain? Well, we know it here two reasons. They're slain for the word of God that they lived out, and the witness that they bore out. They were slain for the word of God, the testimony they shared and the truth they showed. They discerned the times in which they lived and they declared Jesus in those times. Now, pause here. Revelation in the future does not mean anything that revelation in the past did not mean. Here's a Bible lesson. The Bible can never mean anything what it never meant. In fact, as you read through Revelation, you might be led to, to, to have the idea that what John saw was a, a great deal of new information and having all of this new information now, we don't know what to do with it. When in reality, what John saw was a clarification of old information. That all of Revelation is found throughout all the scripture. We just have a greater understanding of prophecies and promises from the Old Testament. Much of what we read in Revelation comes from the book of Isaiah, some prophecies from Jeremiah. What I'm trying to help us to see is that Revelation is relevant and that it encompasses all of God's promises and his incredible purposes. So that helps us today. And it would have helped John Because John and his church had undergone tribulation themselves, persecution from the enemy, and would have been wondering, where are you, God? Why has this happened? You probably have never asked this before, but I have. Like, God, I'm just trying to do the right thing. Like, I'm just living the right way, and this is what I get in return. See, maybe some others of you have thought that. I've been doing the right thing, and instead of getting back what I want to get, what I'm getting is what I don't want, I don't understand. That would have been the people in John's day. We're living out the truth, we're walking in the truth, and what we get in return is persecution, and John himself was going through that. He was noting that encouragement that would come to the Lord, from the Lord to John, that no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening to you, I'm on my throne. I'm working out my plan. John knew this, and this is what God told John to write to the church that he pastored in chapter one, verse nine. I'm John, I'm your brother, and I'm your partner. I love that. I love this. I'm John, I'm your brother, I'm your partner. But the next part, not so much. I'm your brother, I'm your partner in tribulation. And the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus And I was called to the Isle of Patmos. What John was enduring, the church was enduring, was the evil of man. Man was doing its worst, and God at the same time says, don't worry, I'm using the evil of man to bring about my best. Do you know that God can do that? God can take a Judas and bring about his ultimate plan of demonstrating his faithfulness. He can use a man like Judas, who is a traitor to show us that Jesus Christ will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. He can take what is bad, what is evil, and turn it to good. Didn't Joseph tell us that? So here in Revelation, we have martyrs, and they're asking the question, how long, how long? They are slain because they have been faithful. They've been doing the right thing. They've been telling the truth. And this is what all true servants of Jesus Christ are a part of, telling the truth, right? All true prophets preach judgment. They all preach the truth. Um, every once in a while, I'll hear someone say, you know, I grew up and my preacher was a hellfire brimstone preacher. And I wonder in my mind, should there be any other kind? Because all of the modern Pedagogical methods have never mentioned that never mentioned the negatives don't lead anybody to repentance and here is our real problem in America and United and beyond the United States to our world. We are all sinners in need of a savior. Because if we're not saved we will indeed face condemnation. There are two types of people demonstrated here in this text. Those who have been saved and they're rejoicing, and those who are under condemnation and they are regretting their decision to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do speak up the truth, there will be results. There will be some results when we do speak up and tell the truth. And when we have a testimony that backs up that truth, Paul told Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter, Peter said, hey, don't think that a fiery trial that's come upon you is something strange. This is actually something that is expected. And Jesus told us that. Jesus told us that. When we read through the book of Acts and you're going through it in your Bible study, you're going to come to chapter 7 where Stephen stands up to preach. Do you remember Stephen? His name means crown." He is the first martyr of the New Testament church. You know what question he asked that no one was willing to answer? Here's the question. Which one of the prophets did you not persecute? All the way in the Old Testament, from Moses to Malachi, from Abel to Amos, every single prophet was put in persecution. Uh, Jeremiah preached the truth and there were a lot of preachers around him in his day that said Jeremiah is just a hellfire brimstone preacher always preaching on the negative don't worry God loves us we're all going to be fine put Jeremiah in stocks and that's what they did they threw him in the jail they threw him in the bottom of the jail they threw him in the dungeon below the bottom of the jail why because he simply preached the truth what they do with Isaiah they put him in a log and we believe he was sawn into inside that log. Think of the New Testament. You read the Fox's book of martyrs and you'll find that from Stephen all the way down through the disciples and into the times of the church's beginning, there were people who gave their lives for Jesus. The fifth seal is not God bringing about martyrdom. It is about the martyrs recognizing the difficulty around them and understanding through discernment the times in which they lived and then speaking up for the truth. That as things get worse, we ought to get better. And as things get around us difficult, we need to get after sharing with others the hope of the gospel because there is only one way in which they all will be saved. So they lived out the Word of God, they bore out, and then they offered out their lives. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this to the Philippian church, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That is the way in which I think all the New Testament shows that Christians are to give their lives, and that is in a way of offering as a service to the Lord. Our bodies are to be living sacrifices. That's our reasonable service, Paul says in Romans 12. How do we serve Christ? How did these serve Christ? How were they faithful to the testimony? How were they faithful to the truth? Well, it was through their service to the body, to the church, to one another. They were serving each other. You know, Christianity is an interesting religion in and of itself because Christianity has a call and it says, come on and be a part of us. And then you go, how do I do I do that? Well, take up your cross, deny yourself, Die every single day. Have you noticed there's a a labor shortage? I'm sure you have. You've shown up and you've probably gone to a restaurant and it's not been open. Even in these recent days, you probably, like I, have shown up to a restaurant and they say, uh, we can't serve you. We don't have enough help. I I think that's the way it is, uh, sadly enough, in the church. There's a labor shortage of servants in the church. Let's just be frank about that. And one of the reasons is that someone says, hey, I want to go to work for Jesus. Where where do I apply? Um, At the altar. What's at the altar? Death. Sacrifice. You know, other religions call people to go out and kill. Christianity calls its people to come and die. I'm listening to a fellow that was special forces, And uh, really a a hero of a man. And I've been sharing with him how I'm grateful for his service and his role in society was to go out and make bad people dead. Our role, I told him as Christians, is to go make bad people live. Because they are dead in their trespasses and in sin, and the only hope they have is Christ. They offered themselves to Christ, the church, and to the lost. And we know this because over in chapter 13, verse 15, and it was allowed of the image of the beast to breathe and that image of the beast to even speak with might against those who would not worship the beast, and then he would slay them, slay them. Here are people who in the tribulation period would not bow their knee to the Antichrist or his false religious system. What that meant for them, that they probably were unlike, unable to put food on the table for their family, let alone ever think about financial security. They were living in an age of luxury during the tribulation where everyone was wanting a little more, a little more, taking from whomever they could get, but the believers in the great tribulation were giving instead of taking. We are already in a tribulation, not the great tribulation that is to come, but we are always being called by Babylon to bow our knee so that we can become a little more financially secure or to make sure that we provide a good living for our family or just to have a little more. That certainly is one of the temptations of Babylon that, that we face today in the United States of America that John says, I'm going to call you out of and you come out and don't be like this people. But the faithful are submitted to the Lord. And they bow their lives to Christ, being willing then to give instead of take and to turn to Christ in the temptation to let down morals and ethics just to have a little more. It's the businessman that says, I'm not gonna operate in an unethical way. It is the doctor who says, I'm not gonna act in in an immoral fashion. It is the person who is a believer who lives outside in society that says, I'm not like this culture, but I'm going to live as salt and light, faithful to the Lord and serve this world by my testimony and my declaration of the truth. How did these people serve Christ? They served the body and they served the lost world around them in difficult days. It's never easy, ever easy to stand for Christ. But it is always a time that leads to rejoicing when we do. I think about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, worshiping Jesus in the fire, in the flame, because they would not bow. Here they have a humble submission to God's plan and here is their prayer. Notice their prayer Lord, sovereign God, sovereign Lord. They recognize that they are not sovereign, but He is. And then, two, that you are holy and true, which means two things. You are the powerful God, therefore, everything's in your control. Secondly, because you are holy, you can judge sin and you will judge sin. You cannot give it a pass. And since you are faithful, you will do everything you've promised to do. This is what, again, we get to see in Revelation, that there's nothing new here. There's precious promises throughout all of the Bible that these saints are praying would come true. There are things out of place, things messed up, things that are broken, things that have to be fixed. Lord, would you come and make it right? That's their cry. Someone said there are three things out of place, Christ on his throne the church at home with Christ, and the devil in hell. And that's what they're praying. Christ, come take your place on the earth, bring us home to be with you, and send the devil to his eternal hell. Their cry is right. Look at verse 10. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Vindicate us. That is a sacred prayer, by the way. There are some who said this is a selfish prayer, but in heaven don't you know there are no selfish prayers, but only sacred prayers? Here are those who are saying, would you vindicate us? We have stood for you. We have not defended ourselves, but we have stood faithful for you. Your word and our testimony has been true. And because of that, we've been slain. Vindicate our testimony and vindicate the truth. It's always difficult as a believer to live this way. Because in our flesh, we like to vindicate ourselves, don't we? I don't know about you, but when someone attacks me, I think, here's what I need to say to them. And I can come up with some incredible comebacks. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5 have always been a conundrum to me growing up, because I read Proverbs all of the time, and I understand them better now. Verse 4 says in Proverbs, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Answer not a fool according to his folly, verse 4, verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly. Which is it? Well, one, it, it really depends on the situation. When someone's not going to follow logic, you're in a no-win situation. If you do answer a fool in his folly, he's going to think that he's won. And if you don't answer, he's going to think that he's won. It just, there's just no win. There's just sometimes where we have to say, Lord, you'll vindicate me in time. And it won't be for my name's sake. It won't be for your name's sake. I came across this passage, Psalm 86, verse 17. There are a lot of these prayers like this from David. And it was a passage that I actually prayed every day for months. It was because I was being uh, attacked and I just didn't know what to do and how to respond And so I just prayed this simple prayer. I prayed this one verse over and over and I came across it this week in the study of this passage. So I thought I would share it with you. Psalm 86, 17. If you're like, man, I'm being attacked for my faith. I'm being attacked for walking with Christ. Maybe just pray this prayer. Show me a sign of your favor and those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. I'm not gonna defend myself. I'm not gonna stand up for myself. I'm just gonna ask you, to vindicate me. This is the prayer of righteous people. They are not antagonistic. They're not getting on next door and making their case. They're not getting on Facebook and picking a fight. God forbid, they're not on Twitter. They are praying God in time, vindicate your name. Because that's what's At stake. That's what matters. That's why this prayer is a righteous prayer. Vindicate Christ's name. Why? He has all knowledge and understanding and wisdom. He's never made a mistake. He's never had to apologize. He has perfect wisdom of that which is to come and a plan and a purpose in place. So their prayers then are righteous prayers. Why? It is Christ that they're concerned with. Only vindicate me. Only vindicate us so that Christ will be exalted. Well, their prayers are answered. their are sacred prayers, they're righteous prayers. Look in verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. They were given a special robe. That is a robe of honor, a sign of prestige. Why? Because they've been faithful. They were told to rest a short while. In other words, this is going to come to pass. I'm going to bring about my plan and my purposes and I'll bring them about shortly. When these prayers are being offered and they're being answered by the Lord, we are in the middle of the tribulation that is known as the great tribulation period that will only last seven years. And when these prayers are being offered and John sees these prayers being offered by these saints who have been slain for their faith, God says it will only be a little while longer. And I have a plan. And I have a people. And they're bringing about my plan. And because they are, they're being offered up too. How great is the patience of a father who would allow his children to be offered up as sacrifices? In order that he might bring the message of the gospel to people who've never heard it. I, mean, I thank God for the people who shared Jesus with me. I'll never, ever grow tired of growing, telling God thank you for the people who've been faithful to me. And today, there are people who are in desperate and dire need of Christ. They are far from God, they need Jesus. And we're his plan we're his people on earth for his purpose to share the one message that matters above every other message i I don't know about you guys i get i get a lot of mail from people i've never heard of from states all over this country with messages at the top i love jesus i love jesus ministries things like that everything's like that and and i open it up And all it is, is a letter as to why this politician's evil, and that politician's evil, and this political party's evil, and this political party's evil. And if I was a preacher, I would do something about it. I wonder if they prayed the prayer that the disciples asked in Acts chapter 1. Lord, is this the time you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? I wonder if all these ministries are praying this prayer. Lord, is this the time you restore the kingdom to America? Because God doesn't need America to bring about his ultimate purpose. God needs his people of his kingdom who stand up and pledge allegiance to the lamb and say, yes, Lord, we are ready to serve. Where is it that you want us to? And that is a difficult, difficult job because again, you apply at the altar and you die to yourself and now you take up the testimony of Christ and your name is no longer yours, it's his. And then you live for him. And yet, If we don't do that, what's at stake? The souls of those who are without Christ. Have you ever had a loved one that you prayed for that you said, Lord, would you just save them? Would you save them? I know that, God, you can save them. And then would you ever find yourself praying this way? God, would you have someone at their workplace? Would you have some faithful Christian sit next to them at the lunch break table? Would you have some faithful Christian knock on their door? Would you have some faithful Christian intersect with them and share Jesus with them? sure you have. And I wonder maybe if you ever thought that you might be that faithful Christian that shows up, that work shows up and someone's life intersected with whatever it is that you've intersected with but you're not there for that appointment with that doctor or that meeting or that house call but you are there because you are God's people to carry out God's plan for his purpose of preaching the gospel. No matter what you think about Revelation and how fanciful it might be to you, just go right back down to planet Earth. God's people are before his throne crying out, would you vindicate your name? Would you eradicate evil? Would you get rid of all of the crime and terrorists and all of the pedophilia? Would you get rid of all of the difficulties? And God says, well, not until I finish up my plan. And I have people for that. And it's going to cost them. But it's worth it. So do we see this coming judgment, God is faithfully working on his plan. God is appropriately revealing his purposes. You might say, well, is that me? Is God calling me? Am I one of these servants? If you're a believer, you are. If you name the name of Jesus, you are. He said, I don't know, man. I don't know how in the world God could use me. He will use you if you'll stay faithful to his word and have a faithful testimony so that you can share with those who are far from God. He said, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. No, God has called us to this world in a hard place to see this world turned upside down for Jesus Christ, the United States of America could see and experience great revelation of a great, great revival. I meant to say, great revival, but it's going to take His people who get a mind that God has me here. I'm His people, for His plan to carry out his purpose, of sharing with them. You say, "Well, it's hard to change the world when I'm busy changing diapers to turn the world upside down when I'm just trying to turn this business that I've been given around. But, But you know, God's called us beyond our ordinary, everyday lives to something that is absolutely beyond our imagination as his people to carry out his plan and his purpose to save people. You come to Revelation seven, and we'll get there eventually. And in Revelation seven, you have God's people standing before the throne, and they're all waving palm branches, and they're all praising God. And it's from people, uh, it's from people groups all over time and history, all different languages, all different cultures. They're all standing before the throne. This is God's plan. And he's came, He's working out His plan to bring about people who have never heard the name of Jesus to himself. But people who've never heard about Jesus will not hear about Jesus by looking up in the sky and seeing a bird fly and think, oh, there's a creator what they'll do is they'll look up in the sky and they'll see a bird fly and they'll say, oh, there's a creator, but they still are lost and in condemnation if they are not told about Jesus Christ. How will they hear? Unless we go, unless we're sent. There are those around you who have an idea who God is or that there is a God that he is the creator, but they will not be in heaven worshiping Jesus with us, unless they are told about Jesus and they repent of their sin and believe on Jesus Christ. And there's gonna be a great multitude and God knows who they are. And they're all gonna be there. There's gonna be, can you imagine, just before the throne of God, all of these saints, many of them who have been sacrificed or slain for their faith. Abel was the first one, killed by his own brother, Because he was faithful, Abel was faithful to the word, faithful to the testimony of God. Moses, who was persecuted, Abraham and Sarah, Hannah and Ruth, Jeremiah's gonna be there. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is not gonna be crying anymore, but he's gonna be waving palm branches, like a cure leader, man. He is going to be jumping up and down and worshiping the Lord. And Stephen, who gave his life because he preached the truth. And Peter, who died on a cross, we believe, upside down. And every one of the saints throughout all the ages are going to be before the throne. Not one is going to be missing worshiping God in that day. What will that be like? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, and forever I will be with the one who died for me. Oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. That day is coming. The great day of judgment is coming for everyone. When we stand face to face with the lamb, we will either stand with him or we'll fall before him in his judgment. John asks, who can stand against the judgment of the lamb? Only those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Only those who've been saved. Will you be there? It's one thing to think about all of the saints of God throughout all of history, from all the tribes of all the world, worshiping God. Will you be there? Because that's what matters most. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had this morning to look at this short text. And I pray, God, that through it we will be more convicted of what it means to follow after you and to serve you with all of our heart, to serve you with our lives, to serve you with our goods and material possessions. For the most important purpose of all, magnifying the name of Jesus and taking that name to those who are far from you. Help us, Lord. I pray for those who need to be saved today, that they will come to Christ and be saved. In Jesus' name.